Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I don't know who's saying it. I don't know why they are saying it, but they are indeed. Yes, indeed. Hey. It is the World Pipes. Chicky Jaguar Radio Broadcast goes to coast before the border on iHeartRadio. Of course, uh, tune in iTunes to Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 p.m. Mountain Standard, and of course, on demand archived audio. iHeartRadio, talk shoe, 24 7 at J I G G Y. In this broadcast, we will talk to Troy Dwell. In fact, we are going to go to talk to Troy Dwell here in just a few seconds. We're going to see if we can get him on the old skip a skype skip a skype skip a skype Troy isn't online. So I guess what we'll do is we'll call Troy. We'll get him in here. We'll get... Mr. Dwell in here. Dr. Troy. Is it Dr. Troy? We'll find out if it's Dr. Troy. He might just be Troy. Who knows? He might be Helen Troy, as they say. We'll figure it out. Or he won't be there, and maybe he will. Troy, do There he is. Troy, how are you, sir? It is a... Chickman Freud, giving you a call for your radio interview. How are you, sir? Uh, I am doing well, thank you. I just realized that I was sitting here with my Skype on, but it was not connected. Yes, for I, I, I tried. So I tried to. I tried to skip a Skype of you, and then I decided, screw it. We just call you on the phone. Okay. So we've got Perfect. you on the phone. Well, Look at that. Okay. Perfect. So, uh, so Troy is a highly experienced health educator and founder of Centurion Labs a leading manufacturer of safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products. With over 10 years in the industry, Troy has dedicated himself to helping others lead healthier lives through his innovative research-backed approach, and he joins us this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy, the BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. And, of course, you can get more information, buildgrowandenjoy.com. Medication and therapy are effective tools for managing adult ADHD symptoms, but they're not the only options. And we have got with us today a great guest who has some tips to calm your mind and improve your focus. So, Troy, talk to us a little bit about this. Uh, A lot of people just think it's medication and therapy, but there are other strategies to dealing with ADHD. Talk to us a little bit about this, my friend. Absolutely. And, you know, most of the time, I think uh, rarely do we want to hear some of the solutions that are there that can help all of us. And it's not just ADHD. It's really pretty much any condition that we have. And it it gets back to diet and exercise. There are plenty of studies out there that show that ADHD symptoms are curbed if you exercise more often and if you eat right. And there are specific supplements even that if you take – that head-to-head, even with methylphenidate, which is the leading uh, or number one prescription for ADHD, that did just as well 
as those ADHD medications as a supplement. So um, that particular product is saffron. So it's a it's a herb that we've known about for years that people have used mostly out of the Middle East. But saffron is a great example of something that you could take as an individual to maybe help curb your symptoms with ADHD and look for other alternatives other than those uh, highly uh, abuse or abuse potential products that are out there like methylphenidate. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy, the BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. You can get more information, buildgrowandenjoy.com. And you can also join us each and every day at 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, and 1 PM Mountain Standard over there at jiggyjaguar.com. On-demand archived audio available via iHeartRadio and, of course, TalkShoe. And we have got Troy Dwell with us today. He joins us live here via the magic of Skype audio. So, so Troy, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD is a common condition that can be difficult to manage. Why is that? Well, I think it's because the, the diagnosis itself is so across the board. I mean, it could be as simple as somebody not being able to pay attention to something, to somebody being fidgety, to any number of things. And because there are so many different components of ADHD that make up the diagnosis, it's very difficult to pinpoint. And because it's difficult to pinpoint, it's difficult to treat. So there are simple things you can do. We've already talked about diet and exercise, but there are also things you can do within your regular everyday routine that might help, like making sure that you're putting the keys back in the same spot every day making sure that uh, you've got a routine of when you go to bed and when you get up. You know, the simple things, uh, everybody has that uh, little four to five inch mechanism on the end of our hand these days, the phone, and really limiting our time, especially before bed, about an hour before bed, is what most people uh, recommend will help kind of just shut our brains off because we've got a, a tendency in our culture to really be addicted to making our brains work over and over and over and over again. And when we do that, it causes all of us to be a little bit more scattered because our brain is going in so many different directions. We have got a great guest with us today. Troy Dwell joins us here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy, the BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. BuildGrownEnjoy.com, an interview today with pharma industry veteran and health educator Troy Dwell. He's with us here on our big broadcast. And unfortunately, in times of medicine shortages due to supply chain disruptions caused by the pandemic and other global issues, it can be even harder for those with ADHD to find relief from their symptoms. However, there are several natural steps that people with ADHD can take in order to help cope with their symptoms without medication. Now, you mentioned uh, the, uh, the, the diet and exercise. Uh, give us a little bit more details on this, my friend. Yeah, so diet, they have actually linked several preservatives that are in processed foods and even some dyes that are in processed foods that we know cause uh, ADHD or not necessarily cause, but they are linked to ADHD. In this particular study, I can quote straight from it, it says, lower frequency of consuming fruit, vegetables, pasta, and rice, and higher frequency of skipping breakfast and eating at fast food restaurants 
were associated with ADHD diagnosis. High consumption of sugar, candy, cola beverages, and non-cola soft drinks, and low consumption of fatty fish were also associated with a higher prevalence of ADHD diagnosis. So ultimately, we need to be eating more fruits, veggies, and omega-3 fatty acids, as well as clean proteins, not things that are processed or found at fast food restaurants, and avoid particular dyes. They talk about blue number one and number two food coloring, green number three, orange B, red three and 40, and yellow five and six. So it takes a little bit more effort to really start looking at the back of the packages of the food that we eat that we're picking up from the grocery store and make sure that it doesn't contain any of those food colorings, that it doesn't contain sodium benzoate, which is a preservative that causes or seems to trigger ADHD symptoms. So that's one thing you can certainly do to help alleviate or the potential for ADHD symptoms, along with making sure that you're eating the right foods, more organic, healthy foods like fruits, veggies, and omega-3s like we already mentioned. We have got a great guest with us today. Troy Duell joins us live here on BGE, talking a little bit about ADHD, which uh, I did not plan that transition there, but that 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 is fantastic. Uh, so, 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 Troy, um, you're 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 a health educator. What the hell does that mean? Are you a doctor, or, or, or what, what? What what the heck is a uh, a health educator? That that is a great question. Basically, what it means <laughs> is I'm I'm one of those guys that loves to research and spend some time dumping or jumping into the data to go. All right, what's really going on in this particular case? And are there areas that we can look at that, whether it's pharmaceuticals or it's uh, natural ways of dealing with it, that we can actually bring good health to people? And what are, what are the best choices you can make? So if you've got ADHD, are there some better alternatives than turning straight to the medication? And it may be that in your scenario, Going to the medication for a short term is good, but then figuring out ways that you can wean yourself off of that long term. And that's ultimately what I look for. I just look for uh, the data and try to research it as best I can and look at all avenues, those that are for and those that are against, and uh, see if there's some commonalities in all those and come up with the best strategy possible. Fantastic. We have got Troy Dwell with us today. He joins us live here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. The BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. It is buildgrowandenjoy.com. And he joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. So what do you believe to be the root cause of ADHD medication shortages? And how long do you think this will last? That's a, a great question. Um, and it, it all kind of spun out of COVID. Of course, everything spin, seems to spin out of COVID these days. But if you look at what happened during COVID, there was about a 26.5% increase in the number of people who were diagnosed with ADHD. I think a lot of that was due to the fact that they were now at home. Nobody was in their normal structure. So everybody didn't have a certain time to be somewhere. They didn't have a certain place to be. They had kids running around the house and they noticed that, wow, it's really hard to pay attention. It's really hard to do things when there's no structure around. 
so we had this huge increase. Well, when you have a huge increase in uh, ADHD, the number one medication for that is an amphetamine or amphetamine-based products, which means they're controlled substances. The DEA has to get involved, and the DEA only allows a certain amount of growth each year. Typically, it's below 26%. So they dictate how much of that product can actually be made at a manufacturing level. And it takes some time, probably a couple of years, to catch up. So my hope is that we will end up catching up uh, to that eventually, but it could be a great opportunity for everybody just to kind of reevaluate and go, do I really need this? Are there different strategies that I can do to put in place that maybe I can wean myself off of this altogether? And if not, then I always recommend going to an independent pharmacy, one of the smaller mom and pop pharmacies, because they typically do a better job of calling other pharmacies and working networks and getting out there to try to find um, a solution to whatever medical problem you might have or uh, prescription need that you might have. We have got Troy Dwell with us today. He joins us live here on our big, big program, the fantastic Troy Dwell is with us today here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. He is a highly experienced health educator and founder of Centurion Labs, and he's with us today here on our big program. So why are more people being diagnosed with ADHD, Troy? You know, I, I think a lot of it is because we have lost a lot of the structure that we once had because you're still seeing a slow comeback of people getting back into the office and having a particular place to go. You know, there's still a lot of uh, businesses that are not reporting to a an office building anymore, so they're still working from home. If uh, you're like me, there are a lot of distractions at home, and there are a lot of things that you can do other than work. So you have that piece and component. There are also some studies that are coming out that clearly we're a distracted society. Again, we've got phones, uh, we've got so much technology around us all the time that we're all into three minutes or less of watching videos on YouTube or uh, whatever other program it may be. And it just creates this desire and need for quick understanding of things. And we no longer work on being disciplined and keeping our uh, focus on certain things, if that makes sense. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border on iHeartRadio today, and also Build, Grow, and Enjoy. TalkShoe as well. Get more information at TalkShoe.com. Search Build, Grow, and Enjoy. So you suggest trying independent pharmacies when searching for medications. What are they able to do that the big chain pharmacies cannot that's a great question, and mostly it's the fact that they're, if they're an independent pharmacy or a mom and pop, they are really a small business, so they look for ways and strategies to get things done. If you go to one of the bigger box stores, typically they're just an employee of the big box store, and they're on, uh, on target just to call other big box stores that are just like them. So if it's a CVS or a Walgreens or any of those others, they just call another CVS or Walgreens. If it's a small independent store, they'll call other independent stores and do a much better job of trying to track something down for you. 
at least in my experience and from the experience of several others that I've talked to as well. We have got a great guest with us today, joins us live here on our big, big program. The fantastic Troy Duell is with us. He joins us live this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. So how? So we were talking a little bit about diet and exercise to managing ADHD. Um, what exactly do you mean by exercise? Because there's going to be a lot of people who think, oh, just taking a walk around the block, and then there's going to be these people that are going to be like, I got to get into CrossFit. <laughs> so what what is what is the you know exercise portion of this thing yeah i think what what most have said and what i've heard from most or from most of the studies that are out there is really you're looking at about three to four days of 30 minutes to an hour of exercise they typically recommend and this is uh, really exerting yourself, getting your heart rate up uh, for children, especially under 16 that have ADHD, they recommend an hour of exercise five days a week. And I think anybody who's been around kids for any amount of time understands that if a kid gets out and they work out hard or they play hard for an hour and they work up their heart rate, they typically do a much better job of sleeping. Their attention span is much better. And studies, a 2022 meta-analysis, which is basically just taking a compilation of lots of studies that are out there, showed that when they did that, it actually improved attention, executive function, and motor skills in those kids that had ADHD. So again, you're looking for adults, probably 30 minutes to an hour of high intense uh, heart rate. So getting your heart rate up into that target level where you know that you've actually done something and for kids right around an hour's worth because they clearly have a lot more energy and a lot lot greater ability to rebound from that than uh, adults do we have got troy dwell with us today he joins us live here on build grow and enjoy bge radio network this week here on uh build grow and enjoy build grow and enjoy.com so what dyes and preservatives should we look out for and why? Talk to us a little bit about this. You, you mentioned earlier some of the different dyes and some of the different things going on, but uh, give us more information on this whole thing, my friend. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is understanding that there are certain dyes and preservatives that have been tied to ADHD symptoms. So when you consume those, you see your ADHD symptoms go up. So be on the lookout and especially pre-boxed food or pre-packaged food, they typically will have some of those dyes or uh, preservatives in them that you need to watch out for because sodium benzoate is one that you can see in a lot of different products that are out there. So you certainly want to avoid that. That's an easy one to look for. And really, you know, the the old adage is if, if the ingredients are greater than uh, – 10 ingredients in it or more, you probably are getting something that has one of these pieces in there that you want to avoid. So you want to have food and um, prepackaged food that have as few ingredients listed as possible. That's typically the way to make sure that you're getting something that's as organic and healthy as possible. 
We have got Troy Dwell with us today. He joins us live here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy, the BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. Get more information at buildgrowandenjoy.com. So how important is keeping a daily routine and staying organized when managing ADHD? You talked a little bit about this earlier, but give us a little bit more details, Troy. Yeah, I think uh, as with anything, if we don't have routine and we're not organized, things can start to feel a little out of control. And if you have the tendency towards ADHD or you have ADHD, then you certainly are going to have that happen more often than not. So you, again, want to have specific places for your keys. You want to have routines on a daily basis of when you get up, uh, what you're going to do the first thing that you go to work, the last thing uh, as you're leaving from work, and you get in these routines that begin to help your mind not have to think about little things that may not matter because you've got everything in order as you go through. Lots of lots of uh, suggestions around keeping lists and keeping up with uh, tasks of what you need to do for the day, because if you know what your tasks are, it's much harder to then take away well, it's not too hard. I think we can all um, find ways to avoid the things on a task list. But if we see it on the list, it's easier for us to focus on that and say, okay, this is what I need to do today. And because it's on this list, I'm going to get it done. And then maybe even reward yourself after you spend uh, some time taking two, three tasks off the list. Reward yourself with something that you would find uh, enjoyable whether that's going for a walk, whether that's uh, texting some friends, whatever it may be. But anytime you can uh, put a greater focused or disciplined effort in, it's going to help you avoid succumbing to those ADHD symptoms that uh, are so prevalent. Troy Dwell with us today. He joins us live here on our big, big broadcast. Well, Troy, I really appreciate you making time for us this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. It has been fantastic. Um, where can listeners get more information about managing ADHD naturally and, and everything else, my friend? Yeah, there's some great places out there, but certainly would recommend them coming to, to our website, centurionlabs.com. Uh, we've got some uh, great information on different uh, disease states, ADHD being one of them. So head there, find out as much information as you can, and uh, hopefully it will open up um, opportunities to look even elsewhere as you come to the site, and we'll point you to other places as well. Appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Have yourself a blessed week. Thank you, my man. You do the same. Thanks, sir. There he goes, the fantastic Troy Dwell. And that will wrap it up here for this edition of Build, Grow, and We've got an incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. Why should every American be stacking silver and gold? We've got an incredible new place you need to go check out. You need to go do it right now. The toddfather.world slash MSQ medals. 
Someone will call and speak with you personally about this piece of business. You've got to watch this free video to learn about the best way to acquire precious metals and learn how you can spend it. Go over today. They need you to go make some money right now. Go over to the toddfather.world slash MSQ metals. Don't hesitate. Go do it right now. Someone will call you and speak with you personally. Go over right now to www.thetoddfather.world slash M-S-Q-M-E-T-A-L-S. Don't hesitate. Go do it today. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Welcome back to another great edition of Build, Grow, and Enjoy. The BGE Radio Network out of Atlanta, GA. You can get more information at buildgrowandenjoy.com. And we have got a great guest joining us this week here on BGE. Sean Mursky is with us. He's the author of We May Dominate the World, Ambition, Anxiety, and the Rise of the American Colossus. It is a fantastic read, and we welcome to the broadcast Mr. Sean Mursky. Sean, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your incredible book here. Sure. So uh, in broad strokes, We May Dominate the World tells the story of how the United States rose from being a war-torn republic at the beginning of the Civil War to becoming a global superpower at the dawn of the Cold War. Uh, but I think it tells the story from a relatively unique perspective, uh, the, the way that the United States acted in its home region, the Western Hemisphere. And so not many Ameri- Americans realize this, but before we could ever become a global superpower, we first had to become a regional power. And this book tells the story of our rise and hegemony there and how it set up everything else that followed. We have got Sean Mursky with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast talking about We May Dominate. So tell me a little bit about your writing process for this book. Sure. So I, uh, I've been writing about foreign affairs and national security for, uh, for many years. Uh, but about eight years ago, I got interested in the subject for a variety of reasons. And if you had told me it was going to be eight years of, you know, digging through national archives, reading through kind of moldy diaries and correspondence, I would have told you, you know, that's crazy. But uh, it took a very long time, a lot of time in the archives, a lot of writing, rewriting and drafting. But uh, eventually the book got done. We have got Sean Mursky with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast so your book is incredible. What elements did you draw upon to develop this book? Yeah, so the book is uh, largely based on uh, primary sources. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, looking at uh, some of the, you know, for instance, uh, cables and letters that were being sent, uh, you know, from the State Department, um, everything from like the log books of, you know, naval vessels to the diaries uh, and correspondence of some senior American policymakers. And, you know, the idea was to kind of draw all that together in a way that made for a story that was very readable and compelling, but also kind of portrayed the story of our rise, uh, first in the Western Hemisphere and then in the world as a whole. Sean Mursky with us today. He has got an incredible book. 
So tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book. So one of the truisms of international relations is that rising powers tend to be aggressive and expansionist. And what I mean by that is that when you have a power on the rise in the international system, that power oftentimes is going to war with other great powers. It's oftentimes invading or otherwise meddling in its neighbor's affairs. And it's often uh, just generally trying to dominate bigger and bigger slices of the world. And so this book originally sprang from what I think is going to be this century's multi-million dollar question, is the rise of uh, China uh, also likely to be aggressive and expansionist in the way that other rising powers are? And so I realized that to answer that question, there was no real substitute for understanding what caused other rising powers, and in particular the United States, to act aggressively and expansively. Uh, And I thought that the United States in particular would be a really compelling uh, story because, you know, this is a nation that was conceived in uh, anti-colonial, pro-sovereignty, pro-Republican principles from its very birth. And, you know, nevertheless, a century, a century and a half into its existence, I think it's fair to say it went on a rampage of really unprecedented scope and scale around its region. And so the book tells the story of uh, both what we did and just, you know, how aggressive and expansionist we were, as well as why we did that. Sean Mursky with us today. He has an incredible new book. He is the author of We May Dominate the World. He joins us this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy, talking a little bit about this incredible book. So tell me about some of the different reviews you've gotten on this book so far. Yeah, so it's still early days. The book is not being released until uh, June 27th, uh, but we've got reviews from uh, Publishers Weekly, from Kirkus, uh, and I've been very pleased to, uh, you know, that they were very positive. Uh, Kirkus gave the book a starred review. Um, and I've also been uh, lucky to, to get some really uh, great praise from, uh, from senior practitioners of, of American foreign policy, including General H.R. McMaster, who was a national security advisor during the Trump administration, um, as well as uh, Ambassador Tom Shannon, who uh, was uh, an acting secretary of state at the beginning of the Trump administration, but has a long kind of history in the State Department before that, working on sort of uh, Western Hemisphere issues. Um, and I was also lucky to get some, some uh, endorsements from uh, some uh, scholars and pundits like Dr. Uh, Bob Kagan, as well as John Mearsheimer, uh, both of whom are you know, sort of very active in, the, uh, uh, in contemporary foreign policy discussions. We've got Sean Mursky with us today. We may dominate the world is the latest from him. So tell me a little bit about um, how you put this book together. Did you use notes? Did you use an outline? How, how did this thing come to life? Yeah, so the process of writing a book, I mean, I think everyone kind of does it their own way. In my case, what I would usually start doing for each chapter is sort of reading the main secondary sources uh, that covered the, uh, uh, the period in question. And once I did that, I took notes on sort of the underlying primary uh, documents that I wanted to get a look at, right? And so if these secondary sources were relying on, you know, this cable from this embassy or or this particular uh, report from this naval officer. Um, you know, I'd make a list of all the kind of material to see. And so then the second phase of it uh, was basically just going through all those materials and seeing, uh, you know, reading through them and sort of starting to form a picture of what exactly happened, why it happened, you know, and what's a good way of kind of explaining it for the, for the lay reader. Um, 
And so once I had all those uh, notes together, you know, I would first outline the chapter and then and then start the writing process, uh, which in a lot of ways was only the first step because then, you know, there were many, many rounds of revisions to kind of have the whole thing come together in a concise and compelling kind of cohesive whole. Sean Mursky with us today. He joins us live. We May Dominate the World is the latest from him. So give us the profile of the typical reader who's going to love your book. Well, I'm hopeful it's just about anyone. Uh, I think if you have an interest in uh, American history, if you have an interest in foreign policy today, if you're worried about the rise of China today, or if you're wondering why Russia is acting the way it's acting in Ukraine today, then I think this book really is the book for you. Uh, because it, does, it focuses specifically on the United States and in a specific you know, time and place. Uh, but I think the lessons it draws are really lessons that apply much more broadly to the practice of international relations as a whole. Um, and so first, there's just these you know, amazing stories of kind of uh, what happened to the United States and the things we did. Um, but they also translate in very real terms to, to some of the debates that we're having today about uh, U.S. foreign policy. Um, you know, the book starts during the Civil War when uh, the United States is obviously internally divided. The North and the South are at each other's throats. And Europe's great powers are looking at this and saying, what an opportunity to really expand our influence into the Western Hemisphere. And so you have these stories that I think are not really taught in, you know, uh, high school history classes. Uh, for instance, France invaded and occupied all of Mexico during the U.S. Civil War uh, and only got booted out afterwards precisely because the North won the Civil War. Um, and so the book starts there and sort of talks about kind of the threat and then builds on that to, to kind of pull together a tale of, you know, the various interventions that we kind of launched in the region. There were coups, there were counter-coups, insurgencies, counter-insurgencies, lots of invasions, a variety of economic and political and social tools that we use to kind of, you know, expand our influence. Um, and, you know, culminating, as I said, in, in, in the rise of uh, the United States as a global superpower. And so, you know, it's a, it's a historical tale, but I think it's one that has a lot of echoes in today's world. I know that the uh, United States uh, government in the past have been, you know, they, 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 they love to say that we don't do regime change and we don't do, we don't <laughs> attack foreign countries and all, all these different things. Talk to me a little bit about what you found in your research, uh, because in this book, there seems to be a lot of stuff that the United States is involved in. That's exactly right. And a lot of the stuff that we do today or that, you know, has become sort of classic uh, American foreign policy, whether that's regime change, nation building, all that stuff, it has its roots in what the United States was doing in its region. And I think that makes sense. Before we could become a global superpower, we had to become a regional power. And that, uh, you know, and what we practiced and did in the region oftentimes then became the template for kind of our uh, foreign policy on a global level. And so, you know, the first time that the United States ever uh, purposefully overthrew the leader of another foreign government was in uh, 1909 in Nicaragua, uh, when there, were, there was a leader there, uh, a gentleman by the name of Zelaya, who had always been, or not always, but had been over the previous few years very anti-American. And on its own, that wasn't enough. But when he uh, first started uh, going to Europe looking for... Uh, uh, great powers who were willing to kind of come into Nicar Nicaragua and build a competing canal to the Panama Canal. Uh, that was the, you know, second to last straw. 
And then when he started invading his neighbors and sort of sowing uh, uh, turmoil and uh, instability throughout the region, that was the final straw. And so the Taft administration ended up sending a massive fleet down to Nicaragua, and it basically just scared uh, Zelaya right out of the presidential chair, uh, and we overthrew him. And that was, as it turned out, the first of many uh, regime changes that we did in the region. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. So what was some of the more shocking things that you found in your research? I, so I think there's two, two things I want to highlight. Uh, and in some sense, they're, they're actually kind of in tension with each other. The first was just the scope and scale of what exactly we were doing in the Western Hemisphere. I think most Americans, you know, when you're studying, let's say, the history of U.S. foreign policy in, uh, in you know, high school, you're looking at maybe some stuff that happened during the Civil War. You'll cover the Spanish-American War, maybe the Panama Canal, maybe a few things in Mexico, but almost immediately you jump on to World War One, World War Two, and then it's off to the Cold War. Uh, and there's this period from, you know, roughly 1900 to 1920, 1930, where we were just incredibly active abroad uh, and using force against our neighbors an average of almost twice a year. Uh, and these, some of these, you know, uses of force were relatively, relatively minor landings of, you know, U.S. Marines to protect uh, American property or lives during a civil war or revolution in these local states. Uh, But in other cases, I mean, we were occupying nations that I think most Americans never know we occupied. And so, for instance, you know, in 1915, we occupied Haiti. We occupied the nation of Haiti for two decades. The next year, we took the Dominican Republic and occupied it for eight years. And so there was this just incredible involvement uh, you know, in the region that I think isn't necessarily obvious uh, or, or understood by a lot of Americans. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is, though, the, the really surprising thing is that a large number of these interventions, despite being so aggressive and, and kind of offensive, were ultimately undertaken for, I think, primarily defensive reasons. And the basic calculus that the United States had was that it really, really did not want European great powers in its region. It did not want, you know, Great Britain or Germany setting up shop in Mexico or in the Caribbean. And what it wanted to do uh, was basically keep these powers out by making sure that its neighborhood was stable and that there were no, you know, weak states that could offer an, an opening for these foreign powers to come in. But the problem the United States kind of realized was that there was just no way to keep these uh, states uh, from collapsing into kind of chaos and civil war and revolution uh, from the outside. And so over time, what you saw is the United States gradually got drawn into these interventions as it sought to keep European influence out. And so when you step back and look at the overall picture, it's this picture of an incredibly aggressive uh, foreign policy, but one that's motivated largely by insecurity and even fear. We have got a great guest with us today. Sean Mursky joins us here on our big broadcast. So what is next for you as an author? So uh, the next month is going to be a lot of uh, book promotional stuff. Uh, but after that, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think, as I said, this book was motivated in large part by, you know, the rise of China. And so I think uh, probably, you know, future work and future analysis is going to focus on that, because I really do think that that's sort of the, the, the central challenge uh, of our time. And, you know, depending on how we answer it will, I think, fundamentally shape every American's life uh, in the, you know, decades, uh, in the coming decades. And one of the things that, you know, I think is worth stressing is that it really is a very fraught moment. Uh, most Americans have lived their entire lives uh, in 
you know, under the protection of an international order that we ourselves built in the wake of World War II. But the thing that you have to understand is that this order is utterly atypical. If you look at the sweep of, uh, of history, the norm in international politics is war, it's, uh, you know, invasions, and, uh, and uh, just in general, uh, kind of a nasty uh, and brutish uh, existence. Um, and we haven't seen a lot of that since, since the end of World War II, and in a large part that's been because the United States has been as powerful as it's been. But as China rises and as the United States starts to um, at least decline relatively, um, we may be returning to that kind of more anarchic and, and dark world that we used to be part of. And so I think managing that transition and making sure that we do it as well as possible is, is just absolutely critical. And uh, I think that's likely where I'll be focusing uh, future, future efforts. We have got a great guest with us today. Sean Mursky is with us. We may dominate the world. That is the latest from him, and he joins us live here on our big program. So how does this book uh, compare to some of the other things that you've written about in the past? So that's a great question. Uh, so in the past, I've mostly written about uh, China and uh, other kind of contemporary foreign policy issues. And so this dive back into history is, is you know, a relatively uh, kind of new project for me. But I think uh, one of the things that this, um, this project really reinforced is the extent to which uh, history can really bear on modern debates. And so just to give you an example, uh, uh, one, in a ha- you know, one century ago, a century and a half ago, we were very aggressively uh, engaged in kind of creating a sphere of influence around the Western Hemisphere to keep uh, Europe's great powers out and to basically make sure that the Western Hemisphere was our neighborhood, if not our backyard. Today, of course, uh, the Biden administration and, frankly, you know, other administrations as well have been very clear that uh, the United States is opposed to spheres of influence. It's opposed to other nations saying that they have some sort of special privileges or prerogatives in, in their immediate neighborhood. And so in uh, Ukraine, for instance, the United States has been quite vocal in saying that Russia should not be claiming Ukraine as its sort of exclusive uh, province, that there is no real right for Russia to claim that it has some sort of security interest there above other areas of the world. And, you know, that's, that's quite inconsistent with the way we behaved a century ago. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have changed our mind. Uh, you know, it's one thing when we're rising power, and it's another thing when we're sort of defending that system. But, the, uh, but the, I think the lesson of kind of studying history is there really are strong parallels and at least a lot of information that you can glean from history uh, when trying to evaluate today's foreign policy challenges. We have got Sean Mursky with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. He's a lawyer, he's a U.S. foreign policy scholar, and he has written an incredible, incredible book. It is called We May Dominate the World. So what do you see uh, as, as far as some of the goals for this book? What are some of your goals for We May Dominate the World? So the first goal is simply getting the story out. Uh, as I said, I just don't think most Americans realize exactly what we did or the, the extent to which we did it. And I think it's important to understand that both to, you know, because it's part of American history, but because it also informs current policy. And so uh, just to give you one example, uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, on the night of his uh, uh, announcement that he would be running for president of the United States, he called on uh, the United States to create a 21st, version, 21st century version of the Monroe Doctrine. 
And the Monroe Doctrine was sort of this idea that the uh, European powers had to stay out of the Western Hemisphere. And I think in American history, it's sort of treated, you know, with sort of, uh, there were pluses and minuses, but it's not, you know, but it's at least something that one can say without uh, completely seeming like you're off the rails. But it's important to understand the history of how we acted in the region and to understand that for Latin Americans, the phrase, the Monroe Doctrine, you know, immediately brings this, like, uh, pang of fear just because it really stands in for kind of this aggressive behavior. And so by understanding that history, we can sort of better understand exactly how to think about, you know, uh, phrases like the Monroe Doctrine and what exactly a 21st century version of the Monroe Doctrine should uh, look like. Uh, because I think Governor DeSantis is right that we do need something like that in order to make sure that the Western Hemisphere stays free of great power competition. But it's, but as, as he suggested, it does need to be updated for the 21st century. So the first goal of the book is just, you know, getting that kind of background out there. But then I think the second goal of the book is to sort of start informing some of the challenges that we're facing today. Uh, one of the main takeaways of the book is that no matter how benign a rising power's principles, its values, its people, its institutions may be, that might not stop the rising power from acting aggressive and expansionist. And that's obviously a key uh, lesson to bear in mind when we think about how to deal with China. Because there's this debate, you know, today uh, over whether will China rise peacefully because it has this particular history? Will China rise peacefully if it overthrows the Communist Party and becomes democracy? And one of the lessons of this book is, or at least one of the suggestions of this book is, you know, that may not matter very much. Uh, simply by virtue of being a rising power, that may be all it takes for the, the uh, for China to act aggressively in a way that uh, will both endanger American interests, but also lead to a rather heated uh, great power competition of the sort that you're already seeing. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on our broadcast. Thanks for chatting with us. I really appreciate it, sir. Yeah, of course. It was my absolute pleasure. We will talk to you soon. There he goes. That is Sean Mursky. And that is Build, Grow, and Enjoy. We'll see you next time. We are doing an interesting uh, broadcast this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. And uh, this is going to be interesting. Uh, We are going to be talking to Roger Homefield, who is a regular contributor to our uh, daily Jiggy Jaguar show that we have on, uh, you know, at JiggyJaguar.com. But today, we are going to spotlight Roger Homefield, the the singer, the parody artist, the contrarian, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. Uh, Roger is, you know... An interesting individual, and I wanted to have him on today to discuss all of the various things because he has, he's a musician, he's a singer, uh, he's a he, he's a man about town, as they say. Uh, so I want to bring in the fantastic Roger Homefield. Um, your your bio says you are you are a singer slash musician. So, <laughs> so Roger, I want to start there. How in the world did you get into being a singer and a musician? Well, I was always a musician. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I didn't start singing until I was 42 and decided strategically to put an act together. 
Uh, musicians <laughs> don't like singers very much. And that includes me, because that's just the way it is. It's cats and dogs, and most singers are not like Frank Sinatra, okay? A lot of singers can't, they don't have time, they, they're out of tune, and most of the talent's <laughs> back on the bandstand, they come in with terrible arrangements to play and to make them sound good. So uh, the singing, it was really, okay, the big band stuff for me ended about 1981. Um, I played with, uh, I played lead trombone on Stan Kenton, Buddy Rich, and Maynard Ferguson auctions. I, I'm, I believe I'm the only lead trombone to ever play with all three of those bands. And, well, that's pretty uh, badass. Well, for me, it was, you know, I mean, you know, it's funny when you're a kid. I wasn't a kid, but when I was a younger musician and I first heard the Buddy Rich band, I went, wow. And then to think that I actually got to play. It, it was like growing up as a Yankee fan and then getting to play with the Yankees. That's exactly what it was like. And I took a bus to New York City because I had to pinch myself. Am I really going to go play lead trombone for the Buddy Rich band? I took a bus down to New York to pick up the book from his manager. And I said, well, once I got the book, the lead trombone book, I guess I'm doing the gig because nobody else could play it. I've got the music. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> but it was after, it was after, uh, we don't really have time to get into, there's a lot of crazy stuff. But basically, uh, I was a musician, a stone cold musician, period. But you know when people say you lose your chops? You don't lose your chops, but different things can happen. And uh, I went from being, having invulnerable lead chops, that's why I've got these lines here, uh, to I blew it. I let it slip through my fingers like mercury, and it's a long, tragic story what happened. But nonetheless, I mean, I still continued to play, but I wasn't the same. So I uh, I was so upset with myself that I decided to put together an act for the cruise ships to keep me busy and to pull me out of... Uh, being very upset about that I had really kind of screwed up my trombone chops because I, I couldn't miss a note. I could not miss. And I, it was like playing the piano. It was like, oh, bump. That was that easy for me to make a note, you know? Uh, so I, I, I always figured I could sing. That was another reason I didn't like singing. Is I figured singing is no big deal, but let me tell you something, not as easy as you think. I, I thought it would be simple to just phrase and Hey, I, I was a wonderful uh, ballad uh, trombone player. And I figured, well, I'm just going to phrase the same way. You know, it's not the same. And singing is a really different animal. It's weird. Uh, depends how you, what, what vowel you're singing, R, I, R, E. You know, it's weird, weird stuff. Um, but that's what it was, Jiggy. I just, it was, it was a premeditated strategy. Arthur Ashton was his name. Uh, he was the musical director at Discovery Cruises. They did 11 cruises a week because they just, they didn't go anywhere. They were cruises to nowhere, basically. So cruises to nowhere. I mean, said, explain well, yeah. that yeah. concept to me. Well, they would they would leave Fort Lauderdale, drop anchor for a few hours, and come back, and then do the same thing at night. So they did two cruises a day, virtually, and then twice a week they went to the Bahamas, uh, and that was it. So it was eleven cruises a week. A great place to to break in and act to learn. And Arthur said to me, he "says Well, why don't you put the uh, cornet uh, in the?" I said, "I said Arthur, I don't play the trumpet." Well, so I said, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. No big deal. Sure. But but that's how it started. It was it was a premeditated idea of how to have an act um, because you can't have an act as a trombone player. Yes. I mean, you could. Uh, but even I, I just can't uh, envision that. So Arthur had this one because I he knew I played violin when I was a kid. So he had it was his concept to have a multi-instrumental act and sing. that's what happened. But my hey, that's awesome. 
I got some other stuff I want to tell you. I don't care if it's off air or not, but my true, true love is something I walked away from in 1980 for the most part. And I'll never forgive myself. And I'll send you the music when I have it ready. It was the jazz orchestra, the 19 piece jazz orchestra that I had back in 1980. And I'll never forgive myself from walking away from that. But that's entirely other stuff. Now, now, okay, you go from doing all of these things. And the last couple years, you have gotten to be uh, pretty famous or infamous or whatever the hell you want to say on the internet for some of your Trump uh, songs. And and oh. let's talk about these. Uh, first of all, I, I, I want to talk about that's why we need to bring back Trump. Right. Uh, we're going to play this here in a few moments. But okay. tell me a little bit about this song and everything surrounding it. Well, you know, originally uh, it was two and a half minutes. I convinced Sandy, let's cut out some, bring it down to two minutes. But I had not been active politically uh, for a few years. Sandy uh, came over with this group of, of uh, lyrics based on the song, uh, Ladies of Tramp, That's Why We Need to Bring Back Trump. And we basically tried to put all of the ills of what was happening in on that song, which is why it took so long. Uh, and we got a lot of information in there, and a lot of information we had to leave on the ground. But that's from that period of time. Look what's happened since then. Oh, my God. Um, but look, a, sh a short way to see the uh, video is bringbacktrump.us. Bringbacktrump.us. And you'll see our new two-minute version of it. Uh, I certainly hope that it's used at some point. I hope it's able to be helpful at some point. I mean, everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody wants to save the world, you know. And uh, so I hope... I hope it can have some positive uh, use. So what what has been the reaction to this song? Because there are so many people who uh, who like Trump, and then there's uh, a good share of people who don't like Trump. <laughs> right, so what right. is what has been the reaction uh, to this song? I'm always going to be honest with you, Jiggy. I don't know what the reaction is. I don't, I don't really follow it anymore. I expected this thing to take off. I really, really did because, hey, there were 80 million Trump voters. And I know that the younger demographics, they're not going to recognize the song. I understand that. But, you know, I did another parody uh, to the Twisted Sister uh, number. And uh, same thing. I don't I don't really follow it anymore. I, I believe that YouTube or whoever has done a great job of of squashing it, just like they do everything else. Why yes. wouldn't they? If, why wouldn't they squash this? They squash everything else. So why would they not squash this too? <laughs> so that's 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 the reaction. That's the reaction. My well, reaction. The reaction is that I believe that it's been censored without censoring it. They just stepped on it somehow. Well, we are going to do this. We we are. I'm going to put you on a brief hold here on Skype, and we're going to play this song. It is Roger Homefield. He joins us this week here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. That's why we need to bring back Trump. And here it is. On BGE, baby. We have no border. Not even a gate. We all get censored by the deep state. We just can't stomach Another mandate That's why we need to bring back Trump 
crime is so bad now we just wanna hurl an athlete can say he'll compete as a girl Kamala's cackle makes your hair curl that's why we need to bring back Trump we all want free elections that are fair but they don't care they're woke what a joke hey California you're now a real dump that's why we need to bring back Trump stopping the pipeline is not a good bet Defunding cops was the dumbest thing yet Afghanistan, well, how dumb can you get? That's why we need to bring back Trump We don't want socialism here anymore It only makes sure that everyone's poor Critical race theory we all deplore That's why we need to bring back Trump We want our oil independence back again For sure there would have been Real peace in Mideast We tried to warn ya Joe Biden's a Trump That's why we need to That's why we have to That's why we've got to bring back Trump. That was that's why we need to bring back Trump. Roger Homefield with us today. He is going to join us back here on our big program and uh, quite the uh, quite the tune, quite the <laughs> Frank Sinatra esque type tune. Uh, this, 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 this is great. Uh, Roger. I think it'll be perfect for like a live event, you know, because, because of the length. Anyway, I'm glad. I love it. I love it. I, I, it's great. We've got Roger Homefield with us this week here on Build, Grown, Enjoy. He, of course, is a, a singer, a musician, a political commentator. Uh, he is he is a, a man about town, as they say. And um, he has just got all sorts of different things going on. And uh, so what are you what what have you, I guess, as far as music, what what were some of your goals when you got into music? Oh my goodness! Uh, I remember being a young kid, like in uh, third grade or something like that. Before I had any kind of an ego, any musical ego, I went up to the uh, to the conductor of the Old County Orchestra and I said, uh, "What am I going to be the concertmaster?" I had no idea how ridiculous. <laughs> it was. I mean, I was a kid. I, I didn't have any musical ego. So I didn't realize that it was an arrogant thing. And then I became concertmaster in the sixth grade. But I didn't have any. Uh, I um, I wanted to be a baseball player. And then I realized that's not going to happen. I started sitting in at your father's mustache down in uh, New York City in the village at uh, 7th Avenue and 10th Street. And the guys would kid me. They said, what are you doing in here? The village vanguard's across the street. And I'm in here with the, with the peanuts and the beer and the tubas, you know. Uh, the goal that I had is what I said. I accomplished the goal. Three times over uh, to be able to play with uh, Buddy Rich lead trombone. I'm I'm so proud of that. And of course, the same thing uh, with Maynard Ferguson. Maynard and I, uh, he, it didn't look like he was ever going to play my 
charts, but he had invited me to the, the music I'm talking about that I'm working on, other big band stuff. Yeah. He invited me. He he heard he liked it. He had heard it a couple of years before. He didn't say anything, but now he heard it and he liked it. He actually invited me to arrange for the band, and like an idiot, I didn't do it. I wanted to come back to Florida <laughs> because the music I was writing, I know this, this is so artsy-fartsy, but it was more lush. It was like Stan Kenton. I wanted the Kenton band to play it and had five trombones, not three, and it was tonal, uh, lush sounds, whereas Buddy's band was very <laughs> percussive. Um, so I didn't do it. I came back and did that. And uh, But but like I said, to, to play in those three... Now, the Stan Kenton Orchestra was perfect for me because it was a combination, big band and orchestra, and my roots were with orchestras. It was the perfect band for me, and I wanted to write for that band. Well, I did, and they played one of my things, but... Uh, we just didn't have a lot of time, and unfortunately, Stan passed. If Stan hadn't have died, I would have stayed in that chair and written for that band forever. That's awesome. That is awesome. We've got Roger Oakfield with us today. Now, another tune that you have that I want to play is he was framed by Hillary. Uh, if they want to look at it. If you want to go find it, it was he he was framed by Hillary.net. It is a tremendous tune. We're going to play it here in a few moments. Uh, this thing on YouTube, even though YouTube has suppressed it, this thing is close to uh, about, it currently has 435 views, which is pretty damn amazing, uh, due to the fact that uh, Hillary is involved in the keywords, I'm sure. So YouTube has probably suppressed this shit out of this thing. Uh, I got <laughs> I got to give myself credit for something, Jiggy, yes. because we did this. I did that quite a while ago. He was framed by Hillary, and that the rest of the lectures, he was framed by Hillary, uh, the FBI, and NBC. That's exactly what happened. And what I cannot, I, I, I know we have limited time. No, 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 no you're good. Play, talk, baby, but, talk. But I can't believe uh, <laughs> we've got two things that nobody talks about. There was a coup, ladies and gentlemen, that Hillary hatched. Comey, all these SOBs were in on it. There was a coup to depose a sitting president. This is not conspiracy theory. This is fact. And it's it's backed up by the Durham report. And Comey's got the, the cojones to come out there and say, oh, there's nothing new in there. There's nothing new because we knew you were a damn traitor. And the other thing that nobody's talking about is there's a very credible allegation that Biden, the big guy, Joe Biden, took a bribery to affect policy, and this is with our adversaries, a very credible allegation. Now, the FBI has the document. They won't turn it over to Congress. I guess uh, one of the representatives was able to see it in a skiff. <laughs> and, and I do, and, and let me just let me just make two more comments, if you don't Yes, mind. yes, and then Here, I, I want to get to the song, so. You keep me out of the rubber room, but <laughs> uh, I just want to say unequivocally, the election absolutely was stolen. And to call me an election denier is insane. We know what happened for the last four or five years. The election wasn't just stolen in one night. It was stolen before Trump even got into his first term. It was stolen during his entire term. The FBI framed Flynn. And then they tried to flank. Well, they did frame Trump. All we heard was that Trump was a traitor and he was a, a Russian asset. What asinine, ridiculous stuff. And folks... If you haven't seen 2,000 Mules, look, there's a very good chance that it was stolen just on election night. But we're never going to know what the numbers would have been. But that being aside, and I think the 2,000 Mules shows that it was stolen that night. But aside from all of that, I consider everything they did, all the censorship, 
and the censorship of omission, uh, everything else. That was all part of election interference, okay? The other thing I just want to say unequivocally, January 6th, that was a complete freaking setup. I'm sorry, I've never, I've never come out and said that that strongly. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt about it. You know why? Because they've been doing all of this nonstop, seamlessly. There has been a seamless attack. And we saw Ray Epps the day before encouraging everybody, no, you got to go in. You got to, he's this big guy, he's got a blowhorn. No, you got to go in. He was trying to get everybody lathered up to go into the Capitol. Nobody was ever talking about going in. And that's what he's saying the day before. And the FBI to this day, or the DOJ, they will not say how many agents they had there. They won't say if they were wearing Trump hats. They wouldn't say if they were leading them in. They wouldn't say how many Antifa were wearing Trump garb, how many BLM were there. This whole thing is a crock of crap. And I can't take much of it anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, what I'm going to do. A new investigation <laughs> against Trump. Now. Look, I've never seen such harassment, and this really has to stop. And I don't know at what point, uh, I just don't know one point, people are going to rise up and say this has to stop. Well, I think to me, the point is coming gone. Yeah. <laughs> it has. It is amazing. But we are going to do this. I'm going to place you on another brief hold. I do want to play this tune because I want oh. people to hear it. So we are going to have Roger Homefield and his uh, incredible tune. This is He Was Framed by Hillary.net. Here. <laughs> Bill Cronin, He was framed by Hillary, FBI and NBC. A deplorable hoax, he was right all along. He was right about the wall, open borders, fentanyl. Everybody walking across without a wall. Stranded in Afghanistan. American way. So keep your hands off Christmas, the flag and our traditions. He was right about that. He was right all along. You may not want to hear it. Some of you may fear it. Trump always ended up right. He was right all along. That is Roger Homefield, and we go back to wrap things up here with Roger Homefield. Uh, he joins us here via the magic of the old Skip Skype. Yes, the Skyper Rooney. Fantastic, Roger Homefield. So we go back to Roger Homefield, and uh, it it is a. Uh, that that is one of those songs that's gonna get stuck in my head all day long. I'm gonna hear that he was right on a log all day long. 
I love it. I love it. It is Roger Homefield. He was right all along. And uh, you can do that as he was right all along at gmail.com, or you can go to he was framed by Hillary.net and uh, for incredible content from uh, Roger Homefield. Bring back Trump.net as well. And uh, he is he is he is something else, and uh, I am so glad we were able to get this done today because I really wanted to be able to just have you on to spotlight your music stuff. We we have you on the other show where all we do is we talk politics and gloom and doom and oh my god, but today was fun for for this show. This 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 was good stuff. Uh, Roger Homefield with us today. So Roger, uh, before we let you go, uh, run it down for me. How do we get all of your parodies and listen to everything? <laughs> I told you, it's like a plane. That the dangerous part is taking off and landing. That's what it's like with me on the show, getting on with the show. It's it, it's the plugs that that always confuse you, well, baby. <laughs> well, you know, look. The thing is, I don't I don't have a, a. There's a website that's there, but it's not it's not really uh, it's not really up up and running. Um, go to either YouTube, Roger Homefield, or. Uh, yeah, go to YouTube, Roger Homefield. There they have music and politics. Some of our shows are up there too, I believe. That's awesome. Uh, so That's yeah, awesome. just go YouTube, Roger Homefield, and and you'll find some stuff that way. But I'll get it brought together. And I can't wait to send you the jazz orchestra compositions. Yes, I want to hear those. I want to hear those. And 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 we may uh, bring you back for another uh, deal where we talk about those. So anytime. That might happen. But uh, our guest this week, Roger Homefield, here on Build, Grow, and Enjoy. Check us out each and every week, buildgrownenjoy.com. Also, Build, Grow, and Enjoy each and every week from Atlanta, GA, the studios of BGE. And uh, thanks to my guest, Roger Homefield. Welcome to the next edition of Build, Grow, and Enjoy. We have a great guest we're going to be t- talking to here in just a few seconds. Reverend Jim Harden is going to be with us here in just a few moments. He is the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services. He lives outside of Rochester, New York. He is a fantastic, fantastic radio guest, and we have got him with us today. Talking a little bit about why someone needs to go to jail in regards to what's happened to innocent Americans at the hand of government agencies. And we bring in Reverend Jim Harden on the telephone. Reverend, welcome back to the program. How are you, my friend? James, thanks for having me back. It's an honor to be with you. So tell me a little bit about this impeachment plus protection that needs to be Republican presidential candidate's position on federal law enforcement criminality. Yeah, we. <laughs> here's the thing. There has been an infiltration in the upper echelons of government and federal law enforcement. And this is not just my opinion. This has been our experience over the last year as pro-abortion and FIFA groups have been attacking maliciously pro-life people and organizations. Uh, the pro-abortion crystal knock. I I started last year with the firebombing of our operation, a pro-life medical office in Buffalo, New York. 
And when we, you've got a presidential election that's coming up, the pro-abortion politicians in charge of the Democrat Party are going to run on the abortion issue. That's how they were able to defeat the red wave uh, in the midterm elections. And what we need is not more consensus and compromised politicians. We need people who are going to run for president who are moral leaders, who are willing to stand up and say, look, it's going to take more than just firing uh, the FBI director, Christopher Wray. It's going to take more than just firing, uh, you know, uh, Merrick Garland, attorney general. We've got we've got corruption that has trickled down from the seventh floor of the FBI building all the way down to the rank and file. And we've got whistleblowers coming out of the FBI saying so. We need people to go to jail. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene issued articles of impeachment for Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray for this reason, for their abdication of their duty to investigate violence against pro-life organizations like Compass Care. Well, that's a good start, but impeachment's not a criminal, uh, you know, proceeding. We need impeachment, certainly, but we need more than that to root out this corruption. It's a Herculean task, and uh, and it's going to take more than just an election. We have got a great guest with us today. Compass Care CEO Jim Harden is with us. He joins us live talking a little bit about uh, this incredible topic. So what is uh, the position that a lot of these these Republican candidates should take? Uh, give us a little bit more details on this. Yeah, well, I think, uh, first of all, they need to freeze funding. Um, and I, let, me just, let me just back up. The FBI um, turned their investigative and arresting power on pro-life people back in September last year. And uh, we've got, you know, evidence that demonstrates from whistleblowers as well as, you know, uh, executive order from Joe Biden to Merrick Garland to investigate pro-life pregnancy centers. And uh, whistleblowers saying that the FBI issued uh, new threat tags for anybody who adheres to pro-life beliefs or pregnancy centers like ours. Um, so, you know, the Department of, of Homeland Security is profiling pro-life mothers. Uh, as potential domestic terror threats, they issued forty million dollars in taxpayer funds to you know investigate uh, peaceful conservative Christians um, relative to uh, domestic terror. Uh, so I think what we need to do is freeze funding to these law enforcement agencies, federal law enforcement agencies like the FBI, uh, DHS, etc., and uh, until a thorough investigation can happen, it is the you know <laughs> it is the duty, the oath-bound duty. Uh, the statutory responsibility of the Senate and House Judiciary Committees to hold federal law enforcement accountable. And in order to do, you got 200,000 federal law enforcement officers out there right now, a force bigger than the Marines, okay? And they are off the hook. Uh, you know, so not only do we need to freeze funding, but we need to take a good hard look at uh, the, the, the corruption that's filtered down. Um, and a question, ask the hard question, to what extent is federal law enforcement violating the Tenth Amendment? I mean, to what extent uh, are they are they overreaching their law enforcement responsibilities into what you know, the responsibilities of the states? I think maybe we should ask what the purpose of federal law enforcement is, and whether or not we should actually uh, continue with some of these some of these agencies, the CIA, the FBI, um, you know, DHS. I mean, there, there's 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 you know, so are there too many? Um, so. You know, there's, there's, there's lots that can be done, but can we bring federal law enforcement to heel at this point in time if, in fact, uh, this, this blatant conspiracy that seems to be happening uh, from the Biden administration all the way down to the rank and file is, is real? They, they seem to be thumbing their nose 
at the statutory uh, accountability that, uh, that that the Senate and the House have over them. So um, I think impeachment, impeachment plus, yeah, impeach certainly. But uh, but now we need to in criminal investigations and see if we can't get people pro prosecuted for, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, sedition, treason, uh, racketeering, money laundering, violations of the third KKK Act of 1871, which is a you know public officials you know use of their official capacity to conspire to deprive entire groups of people of their civil rights, including. The, uh, uh, the, the equal protection under the law, that which, which pro-life people are being denied by, you know, uh, the, the FBI, the DHS, the Department of and the DOJ. So there's a lot that can be done, a lot more that should be done, and the presidential candidates that are running need to address this because, again, like Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, in, in his interview, firing, uh, he, he just said what his, first day, his first day in office he would fire Christopher Ray. That does not solve the problem. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, that anybody who's elected is, is, is going to have this problem on their hands for their entire term. We have got a great guest with us today. Reverend Jim Harden is with us. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. So Ron DeSantis, uh, he seems to be the guy that all the Republicans seem to be coalescing around, um, even though... Pence and all these other people are, are going to be running. Um, what do you make of his view of this whole thing? Well, I think that he is trying to become a compromise and consensus candidate, and uh, it's not going to work. The pro-abortion politicians, again, in charge of the Democrat Party, uh, have they have sold out lock, stock, and barrel to this socialist communist agenda. They have, they have figured it out. They figured out that elections are not won on, on, uh, on money. They're won on morality. Now, they've got, they're on the wrong side of morality. They have a very skewed understanding of what it means to be human. But we, what, what, this, what this country needs is moral leadership. And Ron DeSantis, uh, at least in his initial you know, kind of coming out moments with, with his announcements to, to run for president, uh, hedged a great deal. He hedged on abortion, and he said, "Well, it's really a bottom-up issue." Well, there is a place for uh, for talking about abortion at the federal level because we are endowed. The Declaration of Independence says we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. We are not endowed by our government with fictional, fabricated rights, as 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 many Democrats think or want us to believe. It is a Declaration of Independence, not a Declaration of Dependence. We believe that all people are made in the image of God and therefore equally valuable, deserving of equal protection under the law, 14th Amendment. And that's uh, not what is happening right now in this country. And so we, we should be very leery, very leery of any presidential candidate or any candidate for any office for that matter that thinks that it's okay to continue to vest government with the power to decide who qualifies as a person protected under the law and who does not, because it's a slippery slope. You know, these, these, these pro-abortion politicians, uh, they don't care about abortion. They really don't. They don't care about women, women's health. What they care about is what abortion gives them. Abortion gives them the ability to decide who lives and who dies, which is absolute power, by the way. Absolute power is the ability to decide who's going to die. And if you continue to allow government to, to, to um, amass to itself that level of power, it's a slippery slope. Who's next? Who's next? 
which is the next inconvenient or too expensive group to allow to continue to be protected? Which ones? Because right now it's pre-born boys and girls, but tomorrow it might be your grandmother. I'm not kidding. That's the way socialism and communism goes. The bloodiest century on the, in the history of mankind was the, 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 the advent of communism. Look at Russia, China, I mean, Germany. This is, where, this is, this is the logical conclusion, and it's not good. The, the, only thing, the, only, the only basis for human dignity is the belief that we are all made in the image of God and equally valuable. And that's why they're attacking pro-life Christians and calling us names. We have got a great guest with us today. Reverend Jim Harden is with us. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. So what does your impeachment plus protection plan entail? Break this down for us. Give us all the details, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, impeachment plus uh, includes not just uh, you know impeachment articles going through the House and then uh, hopefully approved by the Senate, which is uh, you know a big if, but but more than that, it includes prosecution of crimes uh, such as um, sedition and treason, uh, racketeering, money laundering. Again, the 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 the, the uh, there is collusion right now, and it's clear collusion um, on the part of uh, many politicians, and, and including federal law enforcement, to deprive pro-life citizens of their of equal protection under the law. And I say that because of, of our experience over the last year, since the beginning of pro, the, the pro-abortion Kristallnacht and the Jane's Revenge, uh, an Antifa front group uh, that's, that's literally attacking and threatening the lives of pro-life people. And, uh, and, and to make matters worse, he had people like uh, Governor New, York, New York Governor Kathy Hochul signing a law six days after we were firebombed, brutally firebombed, half a million dollars of damage, two firefighters were injured and putting out the blaze. Six days later... She signs a bill to investigate not the arsonists, but the but us, the, the pregnancy centers. And at the press conference, she she referred to us as subhuman, calling us Neanderthals. That sounds an awful, awful lot like what happened in Nazi Germany with Kristallnacht, the, the broken glass at night. Um, and, you know, when 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 violence tips into the Jewish community, uh, you know, because and, and the reason why violence was able to tip in the Jewish community was because of a, a, a refusal on the part of the political elite to denounce the violence and a lack of public outcry. And to this day, over 300 attacks on peaceful pro-life entities, no convictions. You don't even know about it if all you, if all you consume is mainstream media. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, uh, so I think it needs, it needs to go from the Biden, Joe Biden to Kamala Harris to Merrick Garland to Christopher Wray to, uh, you know, all, all the way into as the investigation proceeds. Uh, we need to do a full funding freeze with a full audit of all the activities of, uh, relative to the, the, the uh, investigative activities of, of federal law enforcement, uh, specifically targeting pro- peaceful pro-life people. Uh, it's not, I mean, the Biden administration is using federal law enforcement like, like a Maoist red guard uh, to enforce its, its, its policies and narrative upon the people and punish uh, the people who disagree. And that's, uh, so, so, you know, this, this I, I think, uh, is is just the beginning, and it needs to have this this uh, rooting out of the corruption should be done uh, expeditiously. But I think it's so vast right now that it's gonna it's gonna take uh, months and possibly even years. Um, and and quite 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 honestly, there may be corruption within some of the ju- the judiciary, which means you're gonna have to engage a military tribunal in certain places in certain uh, jurisdictions. 
So, you know, we need serious people doing the serious work of rooting out corruption in order to essentially save uh, the American constitutional rule of law from being undermined. Because right now, the Biden administration is using law as a, as a legal buffet to, 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 you know, to beat up and barrage uh, you know, certain citizens who disagree with them. Uh, that they're using the law to undermine the rule of law. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, I think the House and Senate Judiciary Committees are, are concerned, and I think that they certainly are investigating what's going on with respect to the abdication of duty of the of federal law enforcement to investigate violence against pro-life people. But that's just the beginning. And so are articles of impeachment. And articles of impeachment are just that. They're just simply removing somebody from office. They're not uh, criminal proceedings. So that's just the beginning, and, and, I, and it is my hope and prayer that, um, uh, you know, as the nation stands on this razor's edge and tries to figure out, you know, who we are and re-civilize and re-humanize, uh, we, we can actually uh, get through this and, and, uh, and, and come out the other side as, as, a, as, a, as a nation that uh, does value all human life. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our big broadcast. So w- what are some other details that people are missing about this story? Well, there's, we have, if, if anybody's interested in learning about um, the, the amazing details that have happened, we've been keeping track on timeline since, uh, well, since we were firebombed. They can go to compasscarecommunity.com and look up the emerging persecution. Just type in emerging persecution in the search bar on compasscarecommunity.com, and they can have – there you'll see uh, a, a you know, highly detailed and documented timeline of the collusion and conspiracy by people like New York Governor Hochul, Attorney General Letitia James, Google, um, Yelp uh, for, for, for conspiring to, to, to censor – I mean, so one of the one of the things here's an interesting little little tidbit on the timeline. On May, I believe it was May 17th last year, uh, Google wiped us off the map so that women couldn't find us; they couldn't see us. In fact, this was the reason they this was done at the behest of Attorney General Letitia James out of New York. She said we should requested an open letter that Google wiped us off the map so that women couldn't find us. Google complied, and now they've got a mapping filter so women can't even see. So um, we we didn't get back up and running. Uh, Interestingly enough, until June 7th, but at 1.30 in the morning. But what happened on June 7th at 2.30 in the morning was that we were firebombed. Is that a coincidence? Um, possibly. But when you look at all the other factors at play with respect to Google's intentional censorship of pro-life pregnancy centers, uh, even today, um, you know, you got to wonder whether or not that's just a pure coincidence. And then you, you couple that, you link that with other uh, you know, situations, you'll say, Hillary Clinton saying that pro-life pregnancy centers are terrorizing women. Elizabeth Warren saying that we're harming women. Um, they're all saying that we need to be shut down. The pro-abortion terrorist group, Jane's Revenge, uh, now known to be a front group for Antifa, that's their goal is to shut us down. They're, this is a What's happening in America, according to our private investigators, because the FBI is not doing their job, is that according, we've got a multinational insurgency going on. Uh, that is uh, under the cover of Antifa, and they're saying it's anti-fascism. But what they define fascism as is the Marxist-Leninist version, capitalism, simply put. They're against the current socioeconomic system that's supported by the free market and Christianity, which is why they're targeting pregnancy centers and pro-life people, because we're Christians, 
and uh, and and they're saying that we're, we're they're calling us Christian fascists because they believe that in, in helping women have their babies, we're forcing them to become permanent socioeconomic underclasses. So their whole goal, their stated goal, this is not our this is not our interpretation. It's their stated goal to to leverage the transgender movement and the pro-abortion movement and the environmentalist movement together to destabilize, dismantle, and destroy the current nation-state system to pave the way for a global communism. This is how al-Qaeda brought down Somalia. And this is what Rich Higgins had identified as a civilian warfare expert, fourth-generation warfare. This is, you know, people say this is a war. That's not metaphorical anymore. We got firebombed. They're, they're actually targeting us. They're, they're actually, you know, threatening to kill us. What's what is so uh, what is so threatening about peaceful pro-life nurses providing free medical care? I'm not kidding you. Free medical care to women considering abortion. What is so dangerous about providing for for, for the unmet health and resource needs for women seriously considering abortion? What what is what? Why is that dangerous? And I think it's because of what we believe. We believe the, the primary beliefs that drives pro-life people is what stands between a, a free constitutional rule of law and tyranny. And here's the belief. We're all made in the image of God and therefore equally valuable. You see, because if, you, if, you, if we believe that, we truly believe that, we've got a blind justice system We've got a chance at a blind justice system. We've got a chance at dignifying all people. We've got a chance at, at pushing back on the tyranny, saying, no, you can't snuff out any life you want. You don't have absolute power over, over people. God does. We are endowed by our creator, not by our government. That's a dangerous concept to somebody who has aspirations to be a tyrant or a despot. Uh, so we're standing in the, you know, for uh, and on behalf of the weak and vulnerable society. And if the justice system does not stand for the weak and vulnerable, if the justice system allows for the oppression of the weak and vulnerable, then we don't have a justice system. It's, it's just, it's just a, a tool uh, used to control the masses. Equality is a sham. Freedom is just another word uh, to, to control the, the, the masses. So, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a really interesting moment in the history of this country. There's probably more important then probably the most important cultural moment in 150 years, if if you know, if not more so, because I think <clears throat> if we don't figure this one out, uh, America will have lost her soul. No longer understands her purpose in the world, and our purpose is not to you know uh, not to get you know licensed to do whatever we want from the government. Our purpose is 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 to reflect the image of God back to Him and back to each other. Uh, I you know this is Jesus Christ demonstrated the value of humanity by dying on the cross for humanity. Jesus Christ, here's the formula. Jesus Christ is God, invaluable. He can't value, he can't, you can put a value on God. He, he's the owner of all things, right? Well, he died for us. What does that mean? He, put a, he, he assigned value to humanity as priceless. And so he says, go and do likewise. Find, the, find a person beaten and left for dead in the dangerous Jericho of culture by their sin or by the sins of others, and give them their lives back just like I gave you your life back. That's in Jesus. That's the message of the cross. And so he says, go and do likewise. And that is why, that is why America has been the greatest country in the history of mankind, because we are based on this principle that all people are made in his image. All people are deserving of blessing and protection, and the justice system ensures that. But that's only because we have this primary belief that we're all equally valuable. 
Well, that's where we're going to leave it. Reverend, before we let you go, how do we get in touch with you online? Yeah, you can go to compasscarecommunity.com. It's compasscarecommunity.com. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate it. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you, James. God bless. Appreciate it, my friend. There he goes, and we'll see you next time. Between U.S. Uh, destroyer and Chinese battleship, it was like less than 200 years. And, and and if you, uh, you you guys remember last December, uh, there was a uh, it also happened uh, a Chinese military fighter jet approaching a U.S. naval plane uh, above the South China Sea. The closest the distance between the two planes was actually less than 20 feet. I mean, you think about 20 feet, it's just like very close. Uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, naval plane have to, has to actually uh, change the direction of a flight in order to avoid a crash. Dan, go ahead and jump in there first. Well, what kind of questions do you have for uh, non-suit? I can think of about a dozen I could ask right away, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask what I, to me, is the most important question. And I'm, I'm not, I'm being very serious in asking you this question. Do you ever envision a time that Chinese soldiers will be on American soil? Well, it, it well depends on what we do, right? Uh, right now, I think China is a, a flex its muscle in the South China Sea area. Number one, they are going after South China Sea. They want to control South China Sea. Uh, South China Sea, it's a, you know, very uh, huge strategic importance to the Indo-Pacific region. And number two, they're doing this. It's really because they want to stop, uh, uh, you know, the Ukraine military uh, attack uh, to push the Russian out of Ukraine. Because, uh, you know, Ukraine's got a lot of... Uh, 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 weapons from the Western world now, they're ready to push uh, Russian military out of Ukraine, but China doesn't want to see that happen. So that's why, you know, they're doing all this it really is to flex their ma- muscle to give warning to the United States and the Western world. But I, 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 I'm sorry, I have to go back and restate my question. Based on what you're telling us and what you know, will we see divisions of Chinese soldiers landing on the beaches of California, invading the United States? Well, if we continue, uh, let the Chinese Communist regime do whatever they are doing in the last 20 years. I think in one day it's going to happen. And you understand that Americans have over a hundred million weapons. Well, right now, if you compare uh, the military power alone between United States and China, uh, there are a few things. China is uh, quickly catching up. Number one, China, you already have a Chinese Navy already have more battleships than U.S. Navy. 
And uh, I think the U.S. Navy right now have uh, like uh, two hundred, some somewhere around two hundred eighty ships. China have has three hundred thirty, and it's estimated by the year of twenty thirty they are going to have three uh, four hundred thirty. Another one hundred ships increase. Uh, China already have more land-based uh, uh, nuclear launch device than United States, and what make that? Uh, scary is because China already have the um, uh, hypersonic missile technology, which we still don't have yet. And um, uh, the hypersonic missiles flies like a five to ten times faster than ballistic missiles. So you're, uh, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're saying that perhaps that China could attack the United States on American soil through their missile technology and their weapons, as opposed to putting 100,000, 200,000, 500,000 soldiers on the ground. That's right. It's more possible, you know, if they want to attack the U.S. soil, they'll use their missile technology and their the capacity of their um Wherever they have, you know, it's a long, long distance attack to make a long distance attack directly to U.S. soil. So what I I understand what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with you, but you have on this show, you have the right to your opinion. But I, I, I want to ask you one more question before I turn it over to my partner, Mr. Arizoli. Um, if we look at it from the standpoint of what you're saying that we could see missile technology come to the United States from China. From an economic standpoint, we are the largest trading partner in the world for everybody, including China. Why would they sacrifice that relationship to attack America and lose economically a tremendous amount of of economic opportunity. I think you ask a great questions. Uh, actually, you're not a, a, only one asking that question. Uh, uh, it's a great discussion that we, we, we talk about in, uh, in this area. So number one, I want to correct you. United States, it's not the largest trading partner of China. Uh, largest trading partner of China, it's, uh, it's Asian nations, the association nation nations. And number two is EU, and number three is the United States. You may be right, you know, if you consider single countries. Now, now uh, let's talk about why they want to lose this uh, uh, economic opportunity. Now, you, you know that uh, China and uh, China and Russia and uh, and Iran. Many people ask me, you know, all these countries, their eco economy are so fragile. Um, why do they, you know, uh, trying to have start war? The problem is not how fragile of their economy or, you know, who they're going to get the economic opportunities from. The problem is the mentality of the regime leaders, the way they deal their own, deal with their own economic challenges. You know, you, you look at Russia, Russia's economy was weak too. Uh, Russia's economy was like, a, uh, Russia's economy basically is less than one-tenth of China. So Russia's economy equal to one province of China. So, so 
But Russia went to Ukraine, right? So China has it's facing a lot of economic challenges. Their real estate is at the bottom. Their uh, uh, foreign investments are actually leaving China because of the escalating uh, geopolitical uh, risk, and also China's uh, uh, export is declining uh, huge. Uh, now, but however, you know the the way the 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 regime leader in Beijing, China, they, the way they dealing with their own economic challenge is to expand. They think, you know, by export their own economic problems to other nations will solve their own problem. You know, that's what the Bell Road Bell and Road project was invented. And that's why they're doing, you know, the, why they're going off the South China Sea uh, and going on. And, and, you know, this is all they're doing. They're thinking, you know, uh, that's why all these countries, they're coming together uh, to form a new continental power around China, Russia, Iran. I mean, and joining them are the, like North Korea, Belarus, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all these uh, uh, other those central uh, 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 Asia countries. So the only thing you look at all these different countries, the only thing in common, it's the only thing among these 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 nations they have in common is their common enemy, the United States. So China is the leader of this, uh, this newly formed continental power. Uh, you know, they they are solving the problem in a different way than you thought. That's basically what it is. So let, let me ask one more question, then I'll turn it over to IQ. Um, we've got an election coming up in 2024. If Donald Trump were the Republican nominee and he were to win, based on his previous experience with China, would things change? Would they be dramatically different if Donald Trump was president again? Well, I think Trump did something really great. You know, he, uh, it was Donald Trump. He, you know, totally changed the direction of our China policy, which has been moving in the wrong direction for almost half a century. Uh, but however, you know, even if Trump is elected, you know, in 2024, he's going to facing a lot of uh, changes. Things are totally different than right now because uh, it's more and more like we are heads on with China, Russia, uh, you know. So we, I don't know uh, what uh, what can he do different because I think in the last few years uh, the congressional leaders has been pushing our China policy follow the same direction that Tr that Trump actually has set. So it's not moving to a different direction. So, but however, the challenge is uh, it it's it's a lot more severe than a few years ago. Uh, so uh, so so. The, the the coming presidential debate, we actually it's going to hear a lot of debates. I think about how to deal with China and the threat from the Chinese Communist regime. Thank you, IQ. Well, to stop China, America alone will not be able to do that. You remember in one of my interviews with you, we have to have a southeast. China, Southeast Asia, uh, like a NATO relationship, not just America and 
Britain and uh, Australia, not at all. Vietnam is going to be there. Laos is going to be there. The Philippines is going to be there. All these countries who have adversarial problems with China, including India, should go together. And unless they work together, there is no way on earth any of them alone will be able to stop China. I don't think so. Would you agree, sir? Uh, I actually did not hear your question really clear. You talk about something related to Southeast Asia, right? Yes. Combined. Yeah, well, so Southeast Asia, you know there's an association, uh, there's an organization called the Association of uh, Southeast Asian Nations. That that That's the actually the biggest trading partner of China right now. It's like that. It's it's Asia's smaller EU, you know, the way you look at the organization. Uh, so that's why Beijing's leader actually openly calls South, the Asian countries, the 10 nations in the Southeast Asia, the backyard garden of China. Now, uh, with the escalated uh, right now, the geopolitical risk in China, uh, Western corporations are trying to relocate uh, their supply chain out of China and guess where they're going. You know, they're going to either India or Southeast Asian nations. And and that's what, and one of the reasons China is going after Ch- South China Sea, because if China controls South China Sea, if China controls Taiwan, it will control South China Sea. If it controls South China Sea, it will, you know, it will, to the great extent, China will have the dominant influence to these Southeast Asian nations, because all these nations, they're pretty much around South China Sea. Um, so will this country actually, did, did, did you say this country are going to stand up against China? They should go together. Well, they they should. I mean, but uh, I don't know if they will. That's the issue, right? Now, uh, it takes a lot of effort that uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, takes a lot of effort for U.S. military to go back to Philippines. You know, a few years ago, you know, Philippine government was like a body-body with China. But so now, you know, uh, because we're trying to uh, protect, the, to support Taiwan, so U.S. Na- uh, military is going back to Philippines. So Philippines has right now has a very good relationship with U.S. government, but I don't know about other, you know, uh, uh, Southeast Asian nations. So um, we need to do a lot more over there. That's definitely uh, something need to be done. You know, I think you you have a good vision on that part. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, but hey, you know, uh, it's 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 a battleground basically over there. It's the front line battleground, and United States and China are fighting to see who is holding the upper hands when it comes to the influence to these nations. But we're forgetting also, Japan is important. South Korea is important. South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, uh, Laos. Cambodia, Thailand, all of these should combine together militarily, not only economically. Well, they should, they should but I'm not sure if you say like a uh, like a, the one you mentioned, Cambodian. I, I'm not sure if Cambodian is going to be on our side for sure. 
Now, Japan and South Korea, yes, that's one of the reasons China is going after South China Sea, because if China controls South China Sea, they pretty much will control the economic lifeline of Japan and South Korea, because those countries, they're really heavily depending on trade, and their trade, most of their trade will actually have to uh, go through South China Sea. Uh, that's why the, you know, the... Uh, you don't have to worry about Japan. Japan's on our side. Uh, you know, the Japanese prime minister, several of them repeatedly spoke if Taiwan is in trouble, so is Japan. And that's why, you know, from last year to this year, uh, I'm not sure if you know that Japan's defense budget from last year to this year jumped 26.3%. With all due respect, all this is absolutely useless. Japan should declare itself to go nuclear. South Korea should declare itself to go nuclear. Unless they go nuclear themselves. Everything else doesn't mean anything, I promise you. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Japan should have gone nuclear 20 years ago. Or should have declared that they wanted to be nuclear 20 years ago. China would never have allowed North Korea to go nuclear. Never. But they didn't do that. Well, you're right. You know, I hope you, you know, I think you're right. But the problem is that they have not done it. Right. So, so that's why. I know. Uh, I, I agree with you. <laughs> they have not yes, done it. They have so. not done it, unfortunately. That's exactly what happened. Yes. They should have done it. I want to ask one more question, if I might. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Um, population experts are predicting that by the year 2050, a third of the population of, of China will be dead because of the aging process. And that the, the, the terrible decision that they made for one child policy. And you said earlier in the discussion that by 30, 19, or 2035, They'll have over 400 battleships. My question is, going back to, are they going to invade? Where are they going to get the manpower to handle all the battleships and get a standing army to, in, to invade either Taiwan or the United States? Uh, wonderful question. Okay. And uh, now, first of all, let me correct you. You know, it's by the year of 2030, not by the year of 2035. And when you say by the year of 2050, you know, uh, a big percentage of a China uh, population going to die, that's absolutely true. But the problem is facing us is that we can't wait until 2050. So the, the Chinese ch uh, chairman, he order, make, already make orders public that the Chinese military need to be fully ready to annex Taiwan by the year of 2027. By the way, 2027 is the 100-year anniversary of Chinese military. Now you have, we have a, a U.S. Air Force General, Mike Minihan, he predicted the, you know, the direct conflict, a military conflict between China and United States can come as early as 2025. Uh, some of other military generals say, well, maybe 2027, and our political leaders in Washington, D.C. Uh, say, well, may not happen before 2030. Now, keep in mind, none of them talking about if, all of them are just talking about when. You know, we, 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 
we don't have time to wait until 2050. That's the problem facing us right now. Because in the last 20 years, we have try we have China to grow too fast. From 2001, we allowed China to join WTO to 2021. The 20 years, China's economy grew tenfold. Tenfold. You know, 20 years ago, back in 2001, China's economy equal today's Russia. So it's one-tenth of today. So so now we are having the problem. We We never really take China seriously. So... We are in a dangerous time window now. We're talking about now, not 30 years from now. That's the issue. Do you think that this is all a front in the sense that what China really wants is Taiwan? No, of course it's not. We, I, I keep talking about why China wants Taiwan, because China really wants the South China Sea. You know, China still start, you know, if they only think they want is Taiwan, why they're building in South China Sea? China start building man-made islands in South China Sea ever since 2013. And, you know, what they have done is they, they, they dump a massive amount of concrete to reefs. You know, reefs is something when it's high tides below water, when it's low tides above water, you can't claim sovereign rights for, uh, for reefs, but you can claim you can only claim sovereign rights for islands. So what China is, they dump concrete to reef, make it become island, and then they claim the sovereignty. So Chinese Chairman Xi promised or President Obama that uh, you know they're never going to militarize those man-made islands. But however, so far out of seven man-made islands, they already fully militarized three of them. So you can see they you know they have. Uh, military airplane runway, you know, fi- uh, radars, uh, uh, missile launch device, you name it, they got everything over there. So if China controls Taiwan, and the China will control the South China Sea with those man-made islands, and if China controls man-made, uh, South China Sea, what China will have, it's number one, they will choke the economic lifeline of Japan and South Korea on the north, and then there will be nobody to stop China from making further threat to Australia, the, another very important ally of the United States in the region. And number three, China will have a lot more say to the global economy because you have a global, you have like about $10 trillion global trade each year and close to 40% of them need to go through South China Sea. And number four, if South China... If China controls South China Sea, they will have a lot more influence to South the East Asian nations, you know, because a lot of our supply chain are relocated out of China, going to that region, and China didn't want to let go their control to our supply chain. So that's what's happening as now, not in the year of 2050. So if, if you know, in the next few years, we need to think about the next few years. We are talking about an emergency factor uh matter we're not talking about a matter that's going to uh impact us like 30 years from now okay we have got nan su with us today and uh as we wrap up with everybody let's start with nan nan how do we uh read your stuff on epic times and some of these other places 
Well, I have oh, published yeah, on it. Go to, go to the epochtimes.com. You can call it EPIC. It is American way calling it. Or EPOC is Canadian way calling it. E-P-O-C-H. E-P-O-C-H. Times.com. Epochtimes.com. Or you can go, I read EPOC. I read just one word. I read, like a reading. I read EPOC. E-P-O-C-H.com. Uh, you find all the information. And then what, the one thing that I strongly recommend uh, recommend everyone to go check it out it's you know you can just google it google the final war the final war and that's a newly released documentary from the epoch times so it talk about the 100 year plan of chinese communist regime they actually had a 100 year 100 year plot ever since 1949 when they took over control of china they have a 100 year plan to take it by the year of 2049, they will be able to take down the leader of the free world, the United States. Well, let's go to, uh, well, Nan, thanks for joining us, my friend. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for having me. Have appreciate a good day. It. There he goes. That is Nan Su. So let's go to Dan Perkins. Uh, Dan, wrap us up here, my friend. And uh, That's that's D A N Dan, not N A N Nan. Interesting conversation. Uh, uh, I think uh, I saw the reaction on your face when he when he answered my question, "Will we see Chinese troops on American soil?" And he said, "Yes." That's a pretty bold prediction, but yes. anything is certainly possible. Um, I've, I've absorbed um, more ink now. Um, I'm writing for your local news and uh, just started about a month ago. I've published about six or eight articles. Um, it's an interesting commentary situation because we can write or we can use uh, audio or video. And uh, we have a home base based on a zip code, but the publisher reserves the right to broadcast it in over 200 markets if he thinks the material is, is good enough to go national. So I'm doing that, working on a new novel, um, and uh, I'm not really in a position to talk much about it. I've only written four or five chapters. I uh, got interrupted in a trip to Europe, so I decided not to write, and I'm, I'm trying to get back to that. Um, Talked to a, a, an interesting doctor today for songs and stories for soldiers. There's a technology in uh, Europe that's coming to the United States that uses um, sound waves to help uh, injured parts of the body, knees. I'm working with them on knees and ankles and shoulders and hands and everything. But what he told me is that they're in Europe, they're using it to treat PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And uh, the exciting thing was they're working on treating dementia and Alzheimer's. And um, so we're going to talk some more when I'm with him next week. And um, I'm keeping busy. So IQ, as we wrap up here, uh, how do we get in touch with you and everything else? Usual, just call, <clears throat> just Google my name, Al Rasuli, A L 
R-A-S-S-O-L-I. By the way, this, this Chinese guy, he was right. <laughs> and, no, no, it's an emergency. While our leaders are thinking 2030, he is talking about tomorrow, not 2030. He's absolutely right. We're, we are literally dreaming. Our leaders are dreaming. It's an urgent situation, extremely urgent situation. Well, gentlemen, I will talk to you guys Pleasure next to Tuesday. Again. And uh, good to be back with everybody, and I will talk to you soon. Dan, IQ, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Appreciate it. There they go. That is IQ Rizzoli and the fantastic Dan Perkins, and that wraps it here. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.